This is Misty Green, and you are listening to the iLead Podcast, a space to engage instructional leaders for excellence, action, and development, where we will reflect, explore, and move ideas into action. Prior to diving into the episode, I would like to highlight that this is part one of a three-part series anchored to forward planning or planning for tier one instruction. This particular episode will focus on prioritizing skills and standards. If you would like more information or to view a presentation on this topic, head on over to the iLead YouTube channel at Misty Green iLead. I have invited my husband to facilitate this episode. He is known to many as Dr. Raul Pena, but to me as Babe. Raul is an all-star in the field of education. His resume is filled with accomplishments and a plethora of leadership experiences. His voice and expertise in the area of instructional practices, uh, leadership, and moving the needle of student achievement toward excellence are unparalleled. Regardless of his title and role, I think I'm most proud of Raul's intentionality toward remaining anchored to leaving a legacy of impacting all students in a positive way. He truly embraces that all means all, and he does his part to increase student achievement. Raul, welcome to the iLead podcast. Please introduce yourself to the listeners and tell them a little bit about your journey line, specifically in public education. Thank you, babe. Um, We just finished Alaska here in Texas, so pardon my nasalness. I started as a classroom teacher, uh, and it's important to mention that my time in education has been spent in urban settings. I started as an alternative certified teacher, while during that time I spent in the classroom, I had an opportunity to teach kinder, third, and fifth grade students. The hardest one was kinder. I uh, I worked on uh, my master's in school leadership while I taught these grade levels, and upon completion, I transitioned into a middle school assistant principal role, where I really, truly had to reset and learn how to support students in this age group. But what was the hardest was actually learning how to best support secondary teachers. They are a completely different group of teachers. After four years in this role, I became an elementary principal. And as I finished my seventh year as a campus leader, I was recruited to serve in a district level role where um, I served two school pyramids composed of elementary to high level campuses. I appreciate that you mentioned that regardless of my role, I will continue to be student centered. In my last role as chief of schools and current role as chief talent officer, I embrace and advocate on supporting teachers by minimizing non-academic requirements to the extent possible. Our country is in a true state of emergency, and we must be willing to pivot to ensure that every student is successful in this ever-changing environment. Which leads me to this topic. You first published instructional support resources on YouTube as part of a three-part series where you dive into critical components of forward planning or planning for high-quality Tier 1 instruction. You provide content around prioritizing specific skills, deconstructing those skills to create learning objectives. What what inspired you to create this three-part series? You know, that's a great question. Um, 
I believe in supporting all educators from the macro level. As you know, I am extremely passionate about the planning phase of instruction. From my experience and observation, I can easily predict what is going on in a classroom by observing how teams and departments plan during the PLC or during their allotted planning time. Unfortunately, more times than not, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure that you're, in your experience, it's the same. As district personnel, we're tasked with or, or asked to conduct classroom visits, observations, or even the, you know, powerful calibrated learning walk. And, and I often give pushback to this request or requirement. I see little value in walking classrooms, pushing in and putting both students and teachers on edge. The reality, we or, or I can easily predict what type of learning is going on in the classroom by simply sitting in on a few PLCs. So before I ever visit classrooms, A, I visit and participate in PLCs. I want to highlight, I mentioned participating in PLCs. It's the participation in PLCs that has been powerful for me. I offer support and ask inquiry-based questions. During this phase of my support, my questions are not geared to highlight areas of deficit. And unfortunately, I think that's the approach many use in, in the leadership realm, and I refuse to be part of the problem. My heart and intention is to show up and be part of the solution. So during the phase of me visiting PLCs, my goal is to identify the strengths of team teams and, and to honor what they're doing well while simultaneously asking inquiry-based questions to prompt teams and departments to think deeply or approach planning practices from a new lens. The reality, if you find yourself at a high-needs campus, a campus in need of intentional instructional support, your first plan of action should not be to walk classrooms to identify campus trends. Just be part of the PLC and allow your plan of action to blossom from there. As someone who knows you fairly well, it's a breath of fresh air to hear that you're not about compliance. And when I hear you talk about not walking those classrooms as part of a compliant task and making those teachers feel uh, as if they were being observed, it really brings to light the fact that you're truly in it to support teachers. and. That's really gratifying to hear, especially in this age where we have so many compliance requirements to do as we continue to be instructional leaders. Um, a great mentor once told me, once it happens in the classroom, it's already too late. It's very much like, I like summer that practice. I like that a lot. Very much like summer practice for football. And, and once you get to the field, it's a little too late. Um, Misty, when, when you think about planning PLCs, uh, where do you start and, and how do you make it work? You know, let, let's, let's make it a personal, let's take a personal approach and let's make it into, to an analogy. Um, you're in your thirties, married with two or three kids, 
both you and your spouse work full time. You've decided that you guys are going to plan and, and host a holiday party. And of course, you're perfectionist, so you want it to be fantastic. Now, you and I, we're, we're middle-aged, and I'm going to ask you a question. If this were us, and we're planning and hosting this party, do you foresee any stress that could possibly occur uh, during the prep or planning phase for this event. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. So many things going on, different stresses between work and family. But yes, we've been in those positions, even here very recently uh, with, you know, December being just around the corner. Uh, there's a lot that goes on into planning events well. Uh, we just planned Christmas here for the family. And uh, along with that, had our own personal vacation and, and personal work to handle. So I can very clearly uh, picture how this is very, very stressful. So the reason I, I appreciate that, but the, the reason I really wanted to tie in this personal analogy is sometimes we have to make things practical. So let's take this prep phase for this party that we're going to throw. And we're excited about that. But just as you mentioned, we had multiple things going on and campus leaders and teachers have competing priorities every single day. And guess what? PLCs are still slotted to occur. So let's take it back to that party planning. Let's say you and I know that in two hours, our, our home is going to be filled with, with multiple people and guests and we want to put our best foot forward. That's our goal. And let's say we're, we're burning from both ends of the sticks. And at this point, one of our best friends decides to show up two hours early. Let's say that best friend walks in and they see in the foyer of our home, maybe a pile of dust and leaves that has gathered in the corner. Now, the best friend has a choice, right? They can choose to get a broom and a dustpan, not even mention it, collect the rubbish and throw it in the trash. Or they can scoff, mock, and, you know, maybe make a sly or a sarcastic comment and point out that there's a mess and tell you it should be picked up and walk off. Well, one approach is, is supportive and the other breaks the relationship and most likely would leave us or anyone who's throwing the party feeling even more overwhelmed and, and even less supported. For me in this field, I'm extremely conscious about being best friend A. I already know what I'm walking into when I enter the front doors of a campus, especially in 2022. There is no way I will expect anything that I have not first supported. So the purpose of the three-part instructional planning series is to provide a quick win for instructional leaders, anchored back to what's happening in the PLC. Sure, these, these different parts within this series are drive-bys, if you will. We only have so much time in this virtual setting. And deeper context, modeling, support, and even opportunities of application will be needed. But this series will set the foundation uh, to provide new and veteran educators with a starting point in the Tier 1 planning process. I hear you loud and clear. Uh, there's such a high need for us to be constantly learning, especially given our current reality of higher vacancies and, and larger number of, of new teachers in our classrooms. 
Uh, in part one, uh, you take a deep dive into understanding the why and the what of prioritizing learning standards. What do you think is most challenging for a new teacher in this process? <laughs> wow. You know, for new teachers, before I talk about new teachers or even reflect on why I think this might be challenging for them, it's important to note that all teachers, including you and I, we're a new teacher on day one. And I think it's important for us to remember that we wanted to give our, our best at that time, but often felt like we weren't good enough and our best wasn't good enough. So I think it's important that we honor that. But for new teachers early on when it comes to prioritizing skills and standards, unfortunately, many new teachers show up and during orientation or even on day one, they're often handed or given access to their district's curriculum. And you and I both know how overwhelming that can feel. Unless your instructional planning and delivery starting points are clearly defined on your, or on your district or they've created the appropriate planning progressions for you, then most new teachers have difficulty determining what standards and skills should be given the most attention or time. And I'm even going to go deeper. They have difficulty knowing which one should be taught first. So instead, they find themselves trying to attribute one day to each standard, and they plan and teach each standard in isolation. And the end result, new teachers find themselves stressed by not being able to include all of the necessary standards and skills. And what will that yield? Of course, at the student level, it's going to yield gaps and misconceptions. And, Widening the gaps. Yep, there you go. Do, do you find that uh, veteran educators have difficulty with uh, identifying prioritizing skills? <laughs> Absolutely. In a moment of full transparency, it was hard for me to embrace prioritizing skills and standards. As a veteran educator, I felt like my toolkit was sound. My approach to planning was yielding positive results. Um, at the time when I received the learning around prioritizing skills and standards, I was serving as an instructional dean of a school that had been identified as needing improvement. Shifting the planning practices of a large staff was challenging. and in, in an instant, I, instance, I was tasked with incorporating another layer into our already structured planning practices. In that specific instant and moment, I didn't see the need to enhance my skill level or those of the staff. I wanted to continue moving with the system I already had in place. Now, I see that I was my own barrier. Every toolkit, including my own, can be enhanced and, and every system can be improved. So, which is now why I preface any time I'm discussing priority standards, I talk about Chasen's story of when he was asked by his drum instructor to include the double pedal. And for me and in, in my own reflection and in thinking about other veteran educators, it's not that veteran educators are unwilling. 
It's that sometimes it feels like one more thing or a different approach. In reality, it's not a different approach. It's enhancing what they're already doing and some who are doing it extremely well. The work of Matos and Ainsworth with prioritizing skills and standards is a necessary game changer for educators and students. When used with fidelity, it can truly move the needle of student achievement toward excellence. Misty, uh, it's very clear that, that you're inspiring very much how uh, I fell in love with you uh, to be an advocate for student success. Your knowledge and, and understanding of planning aligned instruction is key in moving the student achievement needle for our students. Join me in following Misty on YouTube at Misty Green I Lead to continue this learning journey. Thank you for listening. And as Misty says, if you're an instructional leader, make sure that you support, support, support. Thanks for listening to the iLead podcast with your host, Misty Green. You can connect with me on Twitter at Misty Green iLead. To access available resources, visit www.ileadconsulting.net. Until next time, let's keep moving the needle toward excellence.